0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So the schedule is a little bit twisted because we did a little bit uh, something different yesterday. Usually Saturday is kind of the most in-depth look at a team. We're going to have to do that for the most part today. Whereas today's usually a little bit more laid back, a little bit more fun. We kind of did that yesterday. Um, if for whatever reason it's interesting to you to hear a interview by me on my own podcast, that's what we did yesterday. Um, questions submitted by listeners, just kind of. Some of them are football related. Some of them are just questions about whatever. I mean, I wish I could be more specific, but one of the questions was something to the effect of, "Do you worry about sharks when you daydream?" what category are you putting that in? I don't, So if you if that sounds interesting, make sure you uh, circle back to yesterday's podcast. All right um, why don't we actually start with some newsy news before we get into sort of the uh, what I discovered about the Philadelphia Eagles? The, I guess, somewhat big news, it's more of one of those shocking headlines than it is uh, massive news, but they did place Corey Lindsley on injured reserve. Now, with COVID, there are special IR rules where you can put basically as many people on IR as you want, and they have to be out, I believe, three weeks, which is nothing. It, it, it comes down to if you discover that a person is going to be out for three weeks or more, you just put them on IR. There's really no question about it. Um, it allows you to open up another spot on your roster, bring somebody else up. Corey was supposed to be out three to six weeks, so it just kind of made sense. So they did officially move him to IR. Um, The only real other benefit is that I don't have to see him on the injury report and say that he's on the injury report every time and then clarify that, oh yeah, he's out three to six weeks, don't worry about it, he's definitely not playing. Uh, With that, the Green Bay Packers did elevate a couple people from the practice squad. Number one is guard Ben Braden. Ben was a undrafted free agent from the, drafted by, or not drafted, undrafted by the Jets, if that makes sense. In 2017, out of Michigan, the only action we've seen of Ben in his years here was actually in Green Bay. I must have missed this at some point because uh, he actually played four snaps at right tackle for the Packers. All four were run blocking. You know what I bet it was? It was against San Francisco. It must have been at the very end when this team was getting completely blown out. And uh, we just kind of threw him out there. He does actually have a very high run-blocking grade, so that must have been toward the end when we were just running the ball. To st- I don't know. Anyways, 6'6", 329. He's going to be sitting there in case things go really south. The other guy, Dominique Daphne, um, the Colts actually picked him up as an undrafted free agent this year, 2020. twenty. Six 6'2", two, 225 pounds out of Indiana State. He actually spent two years prior to that at Iowa. Um, I mean, there's just there's not a lot to the guy, even in college. He played 17 snaps at Iowa before transferring to Indiana State, where he actually got a shot, at which time he didn't do very much. He had seven receptions for 69 yards and no touchdowns. His PFF grade was a 58. Strangely enough, he did run the ball quite a bit, so he does have that versatility, kind of, I guess, out of the slot, getting those uh, sweeps or whatever, possibly lining up at fullback on occasion. Actually, no, it looks like it was just half-back, and it was only once. So these are all just coming across um, the formation in motion, taking handoffs. And he did it quite a bit. So you can understand the Packers' appeal, at least insofar as he understands what Matt LaFleur wants to do, which I think is the biggest thing. Because, again, look at his grades and whatnot. They're not all that good. But you look at a guy, and you say, okay, he's got the physical dimensions. He's got the mental understanding of what it is we do here and how to do it. So we'll see what we can do from there. But the reason I put so much emphasis on this is because not only is his running grade infinitely better than his receiving grade, he actually has better stats as a runner than as a receiver. 27 attempts running the ball for 134 yards. That's five yards per attempt. He also has two touchdowns. He converted nine first downs. He had five runs of 10 or more yards, which is about a quarter of the time he touched the ball as a running back or as a tight end who took a handoff. Seven avoided tackles which also is pretty staggering. I don't know why the guy's just not a running back. At 6'2", 225, he could just be a big-body running back. He seems to be quite good at it. And then, of course, there's the uh, blocking. Again, this is probably not all that important, but uh, I guess we're having a get-to-know-you session for the newest uh, member. Not easy. He's been... whatever. It doesn't matter. You get what I'm saying. Um, He hasn't pass-blocked a single time ever, which I find staggering. I guess that means... At six-two-two twenty-five, they figure he's no good at it. If he's going to line up and uh, be in a passing play, he's going to go run routes. So that's what they had him do. But he did run block quite often, 103 times. He had an overall grade of a 72.5, so PFF likes his run blocking abilities. So there you go. Now you know Dominique Daphne, a pretty unique, um, I guess you could kind of say a modern tight end, but that is still just more or less, it's more unusual than modern, but it's, it's in the modern direction. Not a pass blocker. Basically a receiver slash gadget guy. Also worth bringing up while we're on the topic, um, this is another thing that's just dawning on me that I should have brought up before but didn't. But anyways, the weather for the day. It is in Green Bay, so that kind of matters. It's 33 degrees, partly cloudy, 7 mile an hour wind, so a fairly mild day. It's not very cold. I mean, 33 isn't comfortable, but if you're playing football, it's really not bad. These guys are going to be sweating out there. And uh, again, 7 mile an hour winds, it's not exactly no wind, but the time in which they were struggling, we're talking 25 mile an hour winds the last couple times when they had issues. Also, didn't bring this up, but the Bears game. I talked a little bit about, um, number one, how Aaron Rodgers had made a declaration that something's different and they annihilated the Bears, the i mentioned the fans in the stands maybe that had something a little bit to do with it i would kind of doubt it because i think a lot of the hype comes from really loud cheering which obviously wasn't a case the case but maybe there was a little bit i don't know who knows the one thing i didn't bring up was the fact that and i i talked about curse right I, i guess the third thing that i brought up would have been the the 2002 saints and how you know whatever the point is we needed to see something different and we saw a lot of things different, but one of the things that we saw that was different that I, I, you know, they deserve some credit for is the fact that Matt LaFleur specifically called them out for not having energy specifically at home. So as I'm sitting here looking at this, having flashbacks about the last time I looked at the Packers' weather and hoping that it's not crazy, it also dawned on me, oh yeah, that's right, they got chastised for not being very fired up at home, oh yeah, they just annihilated the Bears at home. I guess that also is... Not to say that it can't happen again. I am I would be willing to bet quite a bit that the Packers are going to have a bad day at some point. But again, they do deserve some credit because that was another knock against the Green Bay Packers that they were able to overcome. So hopefully we have this going in our favor again that is that home field advantage is an advantage because for a while it was starting to feel like a disadvantage and i'd rather them go on the road i did a whole big segment on what you know how good they've been at home against on the road except for this year how things are just not quite uh what they have been and and you kind of just don't even want it to be at home furthermore that would make it even more likely that we want the games to be at home in the playoffs I've had several questions about do we even want the number one seed. I understand the thought process behind that, especially not wanting the bye week. Not only because the Packers seem to do really bad off a bye week, but it's always been a question. Every once in a while you see a team that's been red hot hit that bye week. They get a little break in there and they just kind of come out flat. You know, they lose that momentum. But again, as I've always said, you can't pass on a free win. And that's essentially what this is. One team gets an automatic win into the next round. None of these games are guaranteed. you got to take it. But the other thing you got to consider is the home field advantage all the way up to and through the Super Bowl. And again, if this is, again, a home field advantage, if the team, especially the defense, does get fired up, and hopefully we can start packing a couple extra people in the stadium as we go along. I know it's not very, very long before it's the playoffs, but I don't know. Who knows what will happen. But it would be nice, again, to see the Packers have a really good day at home. Um, it is the Eagles, so there's every reason that it should happen. As we'll talk about in, the, in a little bit, the Eagles have been a disaster. But, I mean, two games in a row, both of them at home. You knock out the, they might not make the, the playoffs curse for the most part. You knock out the home field disadvantage curse. You've also got a streak going, which, you know, we haven't seen them play consistently for two games in quite a while. Plus, I think the absolute biggest thing in my mind is if what Aaron Rodgers said is true and this team something just clicked, there's no question that this is a Super Bowl caliber team, possibly the team we should all be betting on to win the Super Bowl. But one game doesn't prove anything, and when you got a matchup and it's at home and it's against a team like the Eagles, you've got every opportunity to show, nope, this is legit, this is for real. Alright, quickly we'll do the injury report, we'll take a break and we'll start looking at the Eagles here. Um, the biggest thing on this list is Zadarius Smith. Um, I get a sneaking suspicion he's not going to play. We'll have to see how it goes, but we've seen Matt LaFleur hold guys out, and I think especially against teams that we expect to beat. And so you sort of play that dangerous game um, where you hold out guys, and Zadarius is a its a pretty big risk because if, if Preston or Rashawn don't step up, which isn't that far-fetched of a thing, Preston has mostly been Um, not impactful this season. Rashawn is about 50-50. Some weeks he's just absolutely dominant. Some weeks he just doesn't show up like last week. Maybe it's a little better than 50-50, but the risk is high that we don't have very much coming from the edges. And outside of Kenny Clark, there's not much hope for the interior, and even Kenny Clark hasn't done very much recently, i.e. this entire year. So Zadarius is definitely a difference maker, um, but I do get that sneaking suspicion that they may decide just, he's not going to play. Um, the bad news on the other side, hello there, alarm clock. Uh, Fletcher Cox is officially going to play. He was didn't practice Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. He did practice, and now um, he's he's fully good to go. In fact, just about everybody, with the exception of Rudy Ford, who we already established, doesn't even play. And Darius Slay, which could be somewhat impactful. Again, not because he's a good football player, but because on this horrible group of, of cornerbacks... Darius is the best among them. So it's a big deal. Not because Darius is good, but because everybody else is so bad. Um, the only other two that are questionable, Tyler Irvin and Chris Barnes, everybody else looks to be good to go. Uh, you did have guys like Kevin King and Alan Lazard that are limited and whatnot, but as far as their game status, they are not listed as questionable. So everybody else is good. And I, and I do think you know, the Packers still clearly have the massive upper hand with Zedarius not playing, but it does make you worry a little bit. We'll get into why it maybe doesn't matter quite as much, but you just, you don't want the Eagles to figure it out tomorrow or just put together a competent game. And then the Packers just kind of put it in neutral because eh, they think the Eagles are garbage. You know what? It just, it just makes me nervous. Zedarius, if nothing else, is a guy that comes up clutch on that one big third down that you need him to. All right, it's fourth quarter, they're mounting a comeback, and then Zedarius gets that sack, and then they got a punt, and that just kind of seals it. Whatever, you you get it. So I don't like it, but I also understand if it's kind of iffy and you want to make sure that he's good to go for the rest of the season, fine. But if you start losing games that you have to win, that also puts you in quite a bit of a bind. So I don't know. Do what you got to do. LaFleur will make it work. Anyways, we're going to take a break here. Um, massive shout-out to Dan Adko for jumping in on Patreon. Really do appreciate the support. Um, I'm not banging the drum super hard because we had so many people that joined the last couple of months. It was pretty uh, mind-blowing. Really, really appreciated that. Also, I know times are real tough right now, depending on what industry you're in or whatever. So, you know, take care of yourself. Take care of your family. I'll be fine. Hopefully this thing ends at some point in time and um, we can recover from the uh, effects of it. But if you like the show and you're doing just fine, I would ask for you to consider... Donating on Patreon, you can do so for as little as a dollar. Patreon.com/forward slash Pack underscore Daddy. Other ways to help out the show you can check out in the comments section. And as I've said, the number one, absolute biggest thing you can do is to just share the information about the podcast. Now, another thought: if it's weird to just you know evangelize a podcast because it just feels uncomfortable, real simple thing you can do: invite people to the group, invite people to the page. It's a it's a lot more. It's a lot easier to just invite a bunch of people that are Packer fans to a Packer group or a Packer page. Because you don't really have to explain yourself. Like, dude, hey, Packers, right? And they're like, yeah, dude, Packers. Then it's up to me to be like, hey, by the way, I got a podcast. I'm good with that if you want to do that. Something to think about. Simple enough. We got like 1,000, 1,100 people in the in the group right now. Some of you have already exhausted your friend group. But let, let's say 1,000 people invite 100 people. That's a lot of people. If half of those people accept, we're talking 50,000 people. 50,000 people become aware of a podcast. Pack Daddy's packing up his stuff and doing the next show on the beach in ankle-deep water where sharks don't don't come, or crocodiles for that matter. That's not how that works, but I'm assuming crocodiles. You don't usually see them at the beach, do you? Maybe once in a while, but not, it's fine. I'm doing it, so something to think about. How some of you people are, are out there just clicking and, you know, friend, 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 friend. You got 50,000 friends. You don't know any of them, but who cares? Invite them to the group. You don't have to be best friends with them or the page or whatever. It doesn't matter. Just a thought. Anyways, let's take a break. We'll be right back to look at the Philadelphia Eagles. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as um, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So let's begin this journey where I began mine when I realized that I really needed to do some investigation. I don't know why exactly I was here, but I was looking over at PFF's pass blocking efficiency, whatever. They show how many sacks, hits, and hurries were given up by entire teams, offensive lines. And then they put their own efficiency score in there. That's kind of relative. They made that thing up, but whatever. I, uh, you know, it's kind of fun to come over here and basket how good the Packers have been. Only two teams have allowed five sacks on the season. That would be the Colts and the Packers. It's crazy to think, because I know that there are games where Aaron Rodgers has been sacked like four times in a game. I know those games exist. It's been five sacks in one year. Remarkable. Anyways, I'm looking at it, and everything's pretty close. I mean, it, it obviously the numbers go way up, but it's five, five, six, 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 seven, 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 nine, 10, ten, 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 eleven, eleven, eleven. 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, right? It's it's all just kind of linear. You know, you kind of go up the line. You got Minnesota here at twelve. You get Chicago up here at sixteen then you got 17 17 19 and then 19. Dallas and Washington have given up 19 sacks on the season. But there's something here that seems like it's a glitch or or somebody put in a wrong number somewhere because Dallas and Washington are actually tied for number 2. Um keep quiet if you know the answer. Don't don't tell the person next to you. But take a guess, how many sacks the Eagles have given up. So again, If we look at teams like in the top 10, you got 15, 15, 16, 16, 17, 17, 19, 19, and then the Eagles. What do you think? It's not 20. It's not 21, 22, 23, 24, 25. It's not 26, 27, 28, 29, or even 30. It's not 31. It's not 32. It's not 33. It's 34 sacks. They have given up almost as many sacks as the top the next two teams combined dallas and washington have given up more sacks than any team except the philadelphia eagles combined they have given up 38 sacks philadelphia has given up 34 that was just the moment when i was like all right something is incredibly wrong here and my first thought honestly was this explains everything i don't i don't know how it's possible because i know they don't have the worst line in football the Chargers' offensive line is far worse. They've only allowed 12. We know Minnesota's line has struggles. They've only had 12. We know Chicago's line is struggling. They've given up 16. How is this possible? So again, my, my first thought is this explains the, um, the issue with Carson Wentz. Unfortunately, it kind of doesn't. Now, it, it does to an extent because there have been a lot of sacks. But the most sacks have been credited To Carson Wentz. Keep in mind, again, the Packers, five sacks on the entire season. Carson Wentz has been credited with ten of his own sacks, meaning they said he was to blame. Now, that still doesn't excuse Jason Peters, a once great tackle who seems to be struggling quite a bit, who has given up seven sacks on the season. Again, he's given up more than the entire Packers offensive line. He has been recently kicked into right guard because of injury, but it's not as though this just started last week. He gave up three sacks to Cleveland just the week before. He gave up two sacks to Cincinnati and one to Washington. He has given up seven sacks, four hits, and one—excuse and me 13 hurries for a grand total of 24 pressures. He hasn't played a single game in which he hasn't given up a pressure. Should be noted that Jason Peters is going to be 39 years old in a couple months. Also, if you look at, for example, the, the tackles that have given up the most sacks this season, um, the most anybody's given up is seven. In other words, Jason Peters is tied for the most with Dallas's Terrence Steele. The other is um, the other tackle they currently have is Jordan Mailata. He has given up five sacks on the season. You know what else is interesting about this? Jason Peters has given up seven sacks. He's only played seven games. The guy that he's tied with Terrence Steele has been in all 11. Jordan Mailata, the other tackle, has given up five sacks in nine games. He's tied with, for example, Tyrell Crosby in Detroit, who's played all 11. On a per-game basis, these are the worst two tackles in all of football. But again, they haven't been credited for as many sacks as, as their own quarterback has. So you've got, right now, one of the worst tackle duos in football. And again, I don't know if, if uh, Jason Peters is going to be playing tackle or guard. But regardless, regardless, <laughs> they're terrible. For whatever reason, Jason Peters being kicked into guard, Matt Pryor, their guard, has been kicked out to right tackle. I don't understand any of this, but he's given up four sacks. He's only played nine games this season. So he's given up a half a sack a game. Jason Peters is giving up literally one sack per game. Milata is giving up a little bit more than a half a sack a game. Carson Wentz with his 10 sacks is giving up a sack a game by himself. We're up to three sacks per game on average, just looking at four players. Which shouldn't be that shocking because we're talking 11 games and 33 sacks a game. Or 30, 34 total sacks, which is about three sacks a game. The, the the craziest part about this is every time you try to pin the blame in one place, you, you kind of can't, right? Well, it's all Carson's fault because he's sitting in the pocket. Okay, but he also has some of the worst offensive linemen this season of anybody in terms of giving up sacks at least. So Let's kind of just pause there for a second before we look at how bad things are and re-remember what I talked about on Friday. This is a team that actually isn't terrible at running the ball. They're actually third in yards per attempt rushing. They do a fantastic job, and that's what really hurt the Packers last time is that they run the ball well, and we couldn't stop it. They've rushed for over 100 yards about half the time, one, two, three, four, five, six times in a game, once almost reaching about 200 yards. Um, One, two, three, four, five times in a game, they did not reach 100 yards. There's no real win-loss correlation between those things, but the point is they do a good job. The interesting thing, though, is that the attempts are massively skewed in the wrong direction. Again, third in yards per attempt rushing. They're one of the best rushing teams in football. They're ranked 32nd in net yards per attempt passing. They are the worst passing team in football. But if you look at their attempts, they're 28th in rushing attempts, 9th in passing attempts. They pass way more than they run they run almost less than anybody despite being one of the most successful teams now that's that that's the result of one of one of two or possibly a combination of two things number 1 complete incompetence by a head coach that chooses to pass 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 despite being clearly a better running team or a team that is playing from behind and if you didn't hear I already looked up because I remember looking at it and saying I bet they don't run quite as well in the first quarter I looked up their yards per attempt in the first quarter it's it's if anything it's better so it's not a matter of yeah well they're guard they they don't actually run that well it's just a lot of garbage time runs that's not true they run well through four quarters they just never run the ball so as a side note we need to be able to stop the run again zadarius might kind of matter here because the easiest way for the the eagles to just completely forget about anything that's ever happened don't worry about how bad things have been it's a simple game plan to execute run the ball do it effectively get all the way down the field score points that's it. And then you worry about the defense. Some other. Time. But as far as the offense, that's all you got to do. Do what you did last time. Then you hope guys like Fletcher Cox or whatever can get to Aaron Rodgers, cause a couple plays to get their offense off the field, and, and here you go. You get that spiraling effect when we got this thing in the bag. And of course, we know Mike Pettin isn't super interested in adjusting to anything. He's hoping that they just throw, 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 throw because they're incompetent. They do a terrible job because they're really bad at stuff, et cetera, et cetera. So, That's the biggest thing. They're terrible, terrible, terrible at throwing the ball. And a lot of that comes down to Carson Wentz as we continue on. Again, you try to pin it on his offensive line, not blocking well enough, which to some degree is true. But the biggest culprit is Carson Wentz himself. Let's continue on looking at how bad of a season Carson Wentz is having. First of all, we'll start off with the grades um, for those that are interested. Carson Wentz is ranked 32nd out of 40 quarterbacks. One spot ahead of Mitch Trubisky. That's not great. So again, remember what I said, every time you try to come up with an excuse, if you adjust for that excuse, it still doesn't fix it. So you might have some Carson Wentz apologists, for example, that'll say, yeah, well, he's getting sacked a lot. That's true, but a lot of that is his fault. Another thing you might hear is that there have been more drops for Carson Wentz than anybody else. He leads the league in wide receivers, dropping his passes at 29 on the season. Aaron Rodgers, for example, has 18 so far this season. So if you look at the, the sacks, you look at how many times he's been hit as he's thrown, which is 6, which is tied for 7th in the NFL, obviously he's under duress a lot, so he's hit while he throws the ball, all this stuff. Well, that that's a big part of the problem. Here's the thing, if you look at his adjusted completion percentage, which is, again, his completion percentage when you get rid of all the drops, the throwaways, the batted passes, the spikes, and the times that he's hit as he's thrown, he still ranks 34th out of 40. Even if you adjust for that stuff, just his completions alone are really, really low. And adjusted completion percentage is really just looking at good passes, right? Because if it's a good pass and not caught, that's called a drop, and we don't count that. He's at 70% completion percentage, um, adjusted completion percentage. Mitch Trubisky, by the way, is dead last at 64.3. Mitch Trubisky is consistently at the bottom of a lot of these lists. He is having just the worst season in the world. Continuing on. Another really interesting tidbit here is uh, deep passing. Carson Wentz does it a lot. Again, very weird. It's it's almost starting to feel like uh, the 2018 Green Bay Packers, where the passing isn't going very well, but we're going to drop back and just unload down the field constantly. Carson Wentz right now is third in deep passing attempts behind Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. He's attempted it 59 times, 19 times it's been completed. That's compared to Aaron Rodgers' 26. He has 643 yards compared to 1,019. Aaron Rodgers, the only one to crack a thousand on on passes beyond 20 yards. He has five touchdowns compared to Aaron Rodgers' nine. He has five interceptions compared to Aaron Rodgers' one. As far as deep passing attempt percentage, it's not quite as high. It just, which doesn't make it all that much better. He's sixth in the the attempts, the the percentage of his throws that are deep throws, which is 14. But again, it really, what does that mean? Why are his numbers higher than his percentage as it relates to other quarterbacks? Because they throw more than most quarterbacks. Carson Wentz has 488 passing attempts. That's second in the NFL behind only Tom Brady. But then again, we look at adjusted completion percentage. Let's get rid of all the drops and all that stuff. How's he doing on deep passes? 25th out of 35. How about his NFL passer rating? He's 31st out of 35. Mitch Trubisky is dead last. Carson Wentz, 673 passer rating on deep passes. Remember, deep passes you usually get a, a higher passer rating because when you complete it, it's a deeper pass. There's more likely a a, a a touchdown on those plays. So you got, for example, Daniel Jones, number one at 143.1, Drew Brees, 132.2, Kyler Murray, 129.2. All right, The top 15 quarterbacks are over 100 in their passer ratings. Carson Wentz is at a 67. Mitch Trubisky, by the way, 16.7 is his passer rating. 20 attempts, only two completions for 49 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. Yes, you heard that right. Mitch Trubisky has more interceptions than completions on passes beyond 20 yards. So if you want to know why he's about to lose his job, there you have it. Shout out to the Packers for really solidifying that stat. So then you look at under pressure. Well, yeah, but what about when he's, you know, under pressure compared to not under pressure? I'm sure there's a big difference, right? If you give him a clean pocket, I bet he'd kill it. Well, under pressure, again, looking at completion percentage, Carson Wentz is 36th out of 40 quarterbacks. Again, one of the worst. The reason why this matters is because what you would usually look at is you would say, well, he's not worse when he's under pressure or not under pressure. It's just that he's more under pressure than most quarterbacks. And if every other quarterback were under pressure as much, they would all be quite as bad. That's not true. Because if we isolate each individually and look at how well you do under pressure, by the way, Aaron Rodgers is 33rd out of 40. If you want to know why he's doing so well, it's because of the offensive line. If he was under pressure more, it would be a nightmare. Because he's literally right now one of the worst quarterbacks when under pressure. Although it's a pretty small sample size. <laughs> so Carson Wentz is not you know, as good as everybody else under pressure and not under pressure. He's, he's one of the worst when under pressure. His passer rating is a 38.8. I'm sorry, that's his completion percentage. 30, uh, 31st out of 40 is his NFL passer rating, which is a 48.2. Shout out to Justin Herbert, 98.1 when under pressure. All right, but what about when he's kept clean? I bet when he's got a clean pocket, he's just killing it, man. He ranks 37th out of 40 quarterbacks when there's no pressure. So this is the other thing. You're like, oh, man, the, the biggest issue is all the pressure, and, and, and we don't have we don't have Zedarius, so we're not going to bring pressure, and he's going to light us up. He is the fourth worst quarterback with no pressure. 83.5 is his passer rating when nobody's near him. His completion percentage is only a 65.8. Adjusted is a 74.7, which is still relatively low. But he has, let's see, 198 completions for 1,963 yards, 12 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions. He's fifth in attempts, so he's had more clean passes than just about any quarterback in football, without with the exception of Pat Mahomes, Matt Ryan, Ben Roethlisberger, and Tom Brady. Tom Brady always has clean pockets. I'm so tired of it. But he's fifth in attempts. He's 19th in yard. That ain't good. So again, we're, we're just eradicating excuses. Carson Wentz has been terrible. He's been un- under pressure more than anybody. True, and a lot of and the I don't want to say the majority, but a lot of that more so than anybody else. It's his own fault. Yeah, but when you know. If he had a clean pocket, he'd be, no, he's terrible when he's under pressure. He's terrible when the pocket is clean. For those of you wondering, um, play action. You have got the number one play action quarterback in Aaron Rodgers with a passer rating of 135.9 going up against the worst play action quarterback in all of football, Carson Wentz, 39th with a passer rating of 68.4 while using play action which again is so weird because one of the biggest things with play action is getting the defense to bite on the running game. That's the whole point. That's the reason why we're pretending to run. We want the defense to think we're running. You catch them off balance a little bit. The, the Eagles are a good running team. Why isn't it working? I don't know, but the, he sucks at that too. So that, I mean, if, if that was an excuse somebody wanted to, well, they don't do enough play action. He's super, no, he's terrible at it. 68 completion, 667 uh, yards, 4 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. Okay, fine, but when they don't do play action, he's super good. 34th out of 39. 75.3 overall passer rating. T-Rash, man. Okay, but you know what it is. I'll tell you what it is. The problem is what we learned based on the fact that he he's taken 10 sacks and they're all his fault is that he holds onto the ball too long. And sure enough, when he holds onto the ball for 2.5 seconds or more, he's got... A 64.5 NFL passer rating. He's 34th out of 40. And he does tend to hold onto the ball longer than most quarterbacks. He's 6th, 2.7 seconds on average. So if you want to get the ball out in 2.5 and you're averaging 2.7, that's not great. Here's the bigger issue. How well does he do when the ball's out in 2.5 seconds or less? He has the 6th worst passer rating, 84.6. 189 attempts, 131 completion, six touchdowns, five interceptions. He's actually the third worst when you look at the percentage of time he's able to get the ball out of his hand in 2.5 seconds. Only Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson get the ball out of their hands less efficiently. When you look at his drop back percentage, what percentage of the time, it's 41.3% of the time. So again, it's just it, it doesn't matter where you look. He's holding on to the ball too long. That's true. But what if, what if he changes it? What does that fix? Nothing, because he's horrible. Granted, he's a better quarterback, but he's still one of the worst. There was a tweet that came out recently about Carson Wentz uh, saying basically, look, I'm, I'm sorry, I know I'm not playing well. Hopefully that wasn't a galvanizing moment but it certainly if nothing else was a uh, important acknowledgement because it it seems pretty clear to me although there are other issues we've already talked about the offensive line we know that there have been more drops from his wide receivers than any other uh, quarterback the whole thing seems to be imploding but no question Carson Wentz has really really been bad there is some kind of bad juju going on because this is a once great offensive line that has become one of the worst I mean when they won the Super Bowl you could argue this was the best offensive line in football Right now, if you just look at sacks, at least, it is the worst offensive line in football. Carson Wentz is arguably one of the worst quarterbacks in football. His wide receivers, as far as drops are concerned, it's by far the worst. It's horrible. And, and you know, I'm not going to go down every single thing, but, I mean, you look at the wide receivers, it's not great. If you look at the corners, they, they grade out as some of the worst corners in football based on, you know, different metrics and whatnot. It's, it's just a disaster area. The only thing that seems to be still kind of holding its own is the defensive line. And again, it's still not what it was, but it's not bad. Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox are good football players. If you're just looking at sacks, it might not be all that impressive, but Brandon Graham has 42 pressures on 291 attempts. 14% is is solid. It's a real solid 14%. You've also got Fletcher Cox, uh, Javon Hargrave, Derek Barnett, Malik Jackson. All these guys are above 10%. Fletcher's uh, I, I, right at 10%. But I mean, across the board... These guys are more or less getting it done. So offensive line keeps doing its job, doesn't allow a lot of pressure sacks and whatnot, and it really just neutralizes the one thing that this team is doing really well. Uh, the final thing I want to look at here, uh, as I usually like to do, kind of looking at the correlations between when a team wins and loses. It's actually a relatively low bar that the defense sets for the offense. However, um, that's not really a credit to the defense because the defense is still terrible. So the the number that the Eagles need to get across, in which they start winning, is 22 points. When they are less than 22 points, as most teams are, they are winless. The issue is, the most this offense has scored all season are 28 and 29 points. They lost both of those games. Why? Because the defense is just that bad. They gave up 30 and 38 in those games. So there really isn't a bar, because they're 3 and 3 above 22 points, which I would assume most teams are above or around 500 when you cross the 20 threshold. But the bottom line is they got to at least reach 20 to to have somewhat of a shot and since we're talking about the Packers offense, they probably better get closer to that 28-29. On the other side, very similarly, 22 point. When other teams score more than 22 points, they are winless. So their defense has to keep the number 1 offense in football under 22 points in order to win the game. They're 3 and 0. When the defense really just does its job, because the offense is that incompetent, the, the the offense is telling the defense, keep them below 22, and we got you, man. They beat the Giants 22 to 21, the 49ers 20 to 25, the Dallas Cowboys 9 to 23. The offense was able to muster low 20s numbers to be able to overcome this really low bar. So that's where it's at. That's that's the offense's big hope. That's the Eagles' big hope. If the defense can somehow keep this offense to 21 or less points three touchdowns is the max not not even a field goal not a safety nothing not a two-point conversion three touchdowns then then i think we can do this that sucks man and they got some high scoring they got the packers they got the saints they got the Cardinals. it's not going to be fun um there really isn't any other correlation except one the eagles are undefeated when they get two or more interception they had two picks against Dallas, 3 against the 49ers and 3 against the Giants. Now, again, most teams are going to be either undefeated or have won most of their games when their defense gets two or more picks. But the flip side of that is when they have one or less, they haven't won a single game. They had one against Pittsburgh and lost 38 to 29. They had one against the Browns, lost 22 to 17. They had one against the Rams, lost 37 19 it also should be noted that uh, they actually lost the turnover battle in all three of those games because remember they turn the ball over a lot but that's really it every everything else is just completely erratic nothing really makes any sense uh win some lose some but uh turnovers and uh so it's it's all the defense the defense needs to keep them the packers 21 or less and uh need to get two or more turnovers if they can do that they got a shot and i will agree with that. I'll go ahead and agree that that gives you a pretty good shot of winning the game. I'm also going to say pretty unlikely that that happens, because unfortunately for the Eagles, even on their worst days, the Packers have only done that once against Tampa Bay. They scored 22 against Minnesota. They scored no. They scored 10 against Tampa, 22 against Minnesota, and up and up from there. In fact, there's only been three games this season where they've scored less than 30. Which is remarkable because remember, the Eagles have never reached thirty this season. Twenty nine is their highest scoring game. The Packers have only got three games of twenty nine or less. It's just I mean, it's just a different league, man. It really is. That the the biggest thing, the biggest difference between these two teams, even if you wanna try to break it down into the nuance of, you know, the defenses and while well, they've got a decent defense and maybe they can do this and maybe their offense can get going against our defense. The biggest chasm right now for the for the Eagles to face is these two offenses. How in the world does, does the Eagles offense that caps out at 29 points go up against a a Packers offense that is averaging 31.7 points a game, almost 32 points a game. The Eagles have never reached 32 points a game, much less average 32 points a game. It is such a staggering gap between these two teams. It really has to be some a massive collapse from the Packers is the only way. It's the only way that the Packers lose this game because if they just play average they score 32 points and the Eagles lose the game on average the Packers defense is giving up 25 Eagles offense is averaging uh, 21 and a half we'll say 23 points split the difference 23 31 there's my prediction and that's if the Packers just come out and play average or did I say 32 we'll say 32 23 32 Packers 32 is one of those weird numbers. I'm not sure how you get there. Nah, 31's more common. I'm going back to 31. Marginally. I'm, I'm looking at winning scores. There's been 28 times a team has scored 31 and 1. 21 times a team has scored 32 and 1. So I'm going with 31. 31, 23, Packers win. Anyways, I got to get going. I got to try to get working on these YouTube videos. I'm behind as always. But uh, go Pack Go, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. is just digestible on its infinite online canvas. Now, the final question. Everyone's brought in, but you have to make all these tasks all the way over in Jira. But wait, it's done. Is it Miro? Easy with its two way Jira sync. Easy to plot dependencies. Everyone always knows what's up. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people creating technical diagrams without workflow glitches. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M I R O.com.